Welcome, everybody. This is For the Love of Money, where we are making you unapologetic about your pursuit of success by sharing the tools, tips, and stories of those who have already made it. My name is Chris Harder, and each week I will bring you incredible guests in order to prove that when good people make good money, they do great things. Hey, everybody, welcome back to another amazing episode of For the Love of Money. I am out of my mind excited about today's episode because I'm going to sit down with master trainer David Wood. And here's why I'm so excited. There are very few people in this world who have had such a large effect on the development of Lori and I as we've tried to figure life out, right? I guess that's always kind of an ongoing thing that we're all trying to figure out. And David has helped us become more fearless more authentic, to live with so much more love, and here's the best part, massively, massively more successful. So I'm really excited to share this man with all of you and and some of the things that he teaches and some of his brilliance. I think that by the end of this particular episode, you will be a different person. So before we get into that, though, I want to remind you that I am out of my mind excited and out of my mind proud that my wife's amazing book, a tribe called bliss, how women can bust through these limiting relationships that they have into the new rules of tribe, how to formulate tribe that's actually going to help lift you up and help you accomplish what you want to do in life. Well, that book is coming out on May 8th. Now there's two ways that you can help us celebrate and be a big, big part of this. The first way is by pre-ordering the book. Simply go to lauriharder.com slash Amazon or a tribe called bliss.com. Go to atribecalledbliss.com, pre-order your book because only those that pre-order it will be the first ones to get it on May 8th. The second way that you can help us celebrate and be a big part of this is by sharing our awesome book tour that we're doing. So Lori is going to be going to several different cities in order to help teach all of you from the book and celebrate in person with all of you and get pictures and sign books. As a matter of fact, every single person that goes to one of these book launch events is going to get two free books at the door. Now they're filling up really, really quickly. If you live in the areas of LA or New York, Boston or Toronto or Minneapolis, make sure you go to a tribe called bliss.com. Scroll down, pick your city and get your tickets like yesterday because they are selling out really quickly. Again, if you live anywhere near Toronto, Minneapolis, New York, Boston, or LA, go to a tribe called bliss.com. Scroll down, click on your city, get your tickets, invite your friends, share it. We would appreciate that. Tag us if you're sharing it. We love to know who is out there supporting us. And best of all, I'm just so proud of her and how this book has turned out. And anything you do to help support this, please know that we will be forever grateful for. Now, speaking of gratitude, let's talk with David Wood. I am so grateful for this man because he's helped me crack wide open and just get rid of so many different layers of BS that I've had in order to finally step into my calling, in order to finally become who I am today and who I am continuing to evolve into. So he's not just a master trainer who's trained over a million students, let that sink in once, but I love his range because he will you know, roll up his sleeves and train you as you're crawling your way up to the top of Mount Kilimanjaro, and then in the very next week, he'll be sitting there coaching billionaires. So his range of who he trains into living a more successful, authentic life is like I've never seen before. So we're going to discuss how to become fearless. We're going to discuss how to live and do business with certainty. And best of all, we have one of the best money mindset and giving conversations that I have had on this show yet. So get ready, take lots of notes, get really, really present because you are going to be a different person by the end of this episode with David Wood. David, my friend, I am so glad that you're on. Listen, here's how this typically goes. Um, I do a rapid fire to begin with instead of at the end like some people do because I feel like it's the best fun way for people to get to know you in a hurry. And then if there's something really good that comes up during the Q&A, we'll circle back around and do a deep dive on it. Does that sound good to you? Sounds great. All right. So let's start with some easy stuff. Where'd you grow up? 
I grew up in, uh, well, Germany, Cyprus, and England. And when did you move to the U.S.? Uh, oh, I've, I, well, in Canada, right? So um, I would have been 88, 1988, okay. 89. For some reason, I thought you moved to the U.S. first, but you've been in Canada ever since then, huh? Well, no, 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 no. I backpacked for 10 and a half years. I, I lived in the States for a year, and then I came into Canada, and that's sort of where my story started here. What's your favorite quote? Oh, gosh. Depends on the day. Um, but, you know, uh, it's, it's uh, incredibly hard to discover new, uh, new oceans if you don't have the courage to leave side of the shore. Is one I love, the idea of just, you know, letting go of security and, you know, putting up the sail and just being able to sail off into the, into the horizon and just let, you know, see what happens, right? Mm, you've been doing a lot of that lately. I love that you lead by <laughs> example there. What is one of your superpowers? Um, you know, I, I think that my friends would tell you, and that's, I think, who you should learn your superpowers from is what they say consistently is I think I'm fearless. Well, I know I'm fearless. I, I, I've, I work a lot on, on dancing with fear and mm. you know, kicking his butt. I love that. We're going to circle back to that one. What's one thing that you're afraid of right now? And it's funny that you say you're fearless. Does that mean you have no fears? You know, I, I joke about this with my kids, um, you know, because I have not been, I was married uh, to their mom for a number of years. And, you know, I don't have these long, long, long relationships. I have, you know, it seems like this is just historical data, you know, three years, three or four, three and a half years. And we end up as great, great friends and close friends. And then I see, so, so we joke that my fear is commitment. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. What is one of your all-time favorite books? Um, you know, this is a, incredible because, you know, I've got, I, I'm in my office right now and I can see hundreds of personal development books, but actually my favorite book I ever read, and I didn't read a book until I was 18, by the way, just so you know, so, because uh, I, I, I had difficulty reading when I was younger, um, is West with the Night by Beryl Markham. And she's this incredible writer, and she was the first woman aviator in Africa and the first person ever to fly east to west over the Atlantic Ocean and um, over the Pacific, I'm sorry. And so it's this incredible story of her growing up with the Maasai tribes and, and, and her journey into the skies. And the, and the first chapter was called Mugway. And it starts off, and here she is flying over Africa at night. And we're talking about when the first planes were, I mean, she'd only ever seen a plane once in Africa, and she's flying this biplane with an oxygen tank in the back to deliver to the mines in Africa. And here she is alone. I mean, she's just, you know, in the darkness. And it's just an incredible, incredible story of a woman's courage. It just, it really is inspiring. It's incredible. You know, something that you and I have in common is I was 36 by the time I finally read a book by myself cover to cover, which is crazy that we both waited till we were adults, right, to, to get into this habit of reading. So now it's such a huge part of my life. Mm. Yeah, you read 30 books in 30 days. That was amazing. Yeah. That now, was, that's... Did, you, did you study speed rating to do that? Or? No, it literally just became a habit when I started muscling my way through. The first few books were torturous because it was not a habit. It was not a strength for me. So you know, I would sit and I'd read the same page over and over and over again. And I wouldn't be able to remember or retain what I just read. And about halfway through that journey, Lori looked over at me once while I was in bed. And she goes, are you really reading right now? Because I had my finger just flying across the page, line after line after line. And I looked and I said, I guess I am. And she grabbed the book and she said, tell me what you just read. And I was able to tell her. And she said, my gosh, I can't believe that you read that fast. now." So it, it's something you can just intuitively pick up with repetition pretty quickly, I think. Yeah, so that's amazing. That is amazing. A couple more uh, quick questions here. Who is someone who's changed your life, David? My kids. Oh, I love that. I've been watching you guys travel. What is one of your all-time favorite accomplishments thus far? Well, again, if it would be along the lines of obviously having being the father is easily the most important thing I've ever done. Um, and uh, and leaving England, you know, I, when I did. I mean, I grew up in a very, very different part of the world in a very different way and just... That day I left England changed my life forever. Wow. And what is one regret that you have? I don't. <laughs> I, I really practice not using regret, you know, because I just think that it's one of those really challenging things, you know, and I, I accept all my mistakes and all the things I've done wrong and all the lies I've told, everything I've ever stolen, which, you know, but I, I just realized that I, I let go of all regret because if I, if I want to do something, I just go do it. And, and, and I make it important. And if not, then I don't sit there dwelling on it. So I love that. You know, what's funny is 
one thing that all of my most, let's call them evolved guests have in common is they have an answer very similar to that, that they've learned to not regret anything because it's all just part of who they are now. Last quick question. What is something generous that you have done recently? <laughs> um, I try and do generous things. So I, I, I'm kind of one of my favorite ways to give is to um, do it on a daily basis. And I love looking everywhere as I walk through life to discover ways where I can give in, in, in either profound, uh, they can be really big or really tiny ways. Um, and whether it's to help someone, um, which this week has been about helping. Um, I mean, you're talking about financial gen generosity or giving generosity, which are you talking about both? Either one, equally important. Well, I could tell, and you may dig into if you dig into this. I'd love to give you a few examples of some of the financial ones. But just yesterday was a great example of, um, you know, my neighbor. I drove past my neighbor's house. Well, first of all, I, we were hiking. My my assistant and I once a week and sometimes twice a week we'll go hiking and do our work hiking. So we'll actually you know go for two hours on a really really big hike and we'll work at the same time. We just think it's a better way to 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 work together as as a team, right? And there was a guy who was who'd been in a bike accident on a mountain bike, and we were, well, I'd just ridden the day before, and and he had broken his shoulder or his collarbone or something. He was a mess. So just we carried his bike out of, the, and I and I knew a shortcut out of the woods, so I was able to get him out of the woods and get him on a in a vehicle to the hospital. Um, but then on the way back from that, I saw my neighbor just pulled up with a trailer, and I just knew that he had a back problem. So I went into the house, I, I grabbed a bottle of water, I came back. And I unloaded his entire trailer of dirt, and it wasn't a small one, and I leveled it all across his grass. And we were laughing and joking, and in the end, he realized he didn't have to do anything. So, so he went and poured two scotches. <laughs> it's, like, it's like one o'clock in the afternoon, and he brought out a scotch, and we just sat there on his deck chairs and, ch and chatted to him. So I really sort of, so that would be a generosity that I look for all the time, that kind of thing where I could just help out or financially help out. And that's why you're such an important mentor to me. So this is a great segue, actually, to go a little bit deeper into the interview. And I kind of want to start with the man who you are right now and how you became that man. Because to be honest, you're one of the deepest, most positive, most generous and intuitive and intelligent individuals that I know. You really are. And especially when it comes to the world of self-development and just caring about, you know, making each person that you come across a little bit better than when you found them. So where did that come from? How did, how did you get all of this compassion? Mm. Um. That's a really, really great question. I mean, a really beautiful. And I love the word you use, compassion. Um, I think it's because of my journey. I mean, I journeyed through a lot of different things that for some people, they'd look at it as a, it could be deemed a, a harder life than some. And obviously, if I compare it to people in India or in Iran right now or different places around the world, I wouldn't look at it that term. But by a Western standard, you know, we grew up in slums. We grew up in a in a really really dysfunctional place, and there was a lot of violence and a lot of abuse in all different uh, levels. And and so, you know, it was sort of growing up in that world. And then when I left England, which was kind of accidental, um, you know, I, I backpacked around the world for ten and a half years, and and I learned it there. I just started a. I mean, I was I, I think I was afraid for about a year and a half where I was really consumed by fear because everything was strange and I just didn't know how to adapt. And, but once I started to see people and understand people, um, I, I realized that I'd made so many mistakes and I, I lived, you know, I mean, I was in jail, I was doing drugs, you know, I mean, it was just everything, you know? And, and, um, so I think it's just, you know, as I, as I walked around the world and people let me into their homes and their lives, and I started to see that we all have a story, we all have a journey. Um, and I don't care how bad the journey is. I meet people that on the outside can seem like complete asses. And I realize right behind that is a beautiful human being. And, and you just got to tap into it. And, I, and I've never been surprised. Even the darkest character, I, I can find I can be around them for a short period of time. And sometimes I have to model their energy to get there because I can't just show up like this. I can't talk deep, you know, meaningful conversations. Sometimes I have to use more guttural and course and you know crew just to sort of model their world long enough to be able to enter it and once you enter the door of anyone's world and you're fascinated by them and without being critical or judgmental then this magic always seems to happen right so i've noticed it's about you actually what you just described you know when you're coaching someone or meeting someone or just having a, a first-time conversation you have the ability to make them feel as though you see right through their surface shit and right into their soul <laughs> right. And you know exactly where to take that conversation. How did you develop this? Was it simply that exposure of 10 and a half years of hiking around and meeting people? 
Well, I think it's a combination. Obviously, you know, I've trained a million students now, just over, right? And uh, that's a lot of people that, that you've interacted with at different levels. Um, but I think before that, uh, you know, there's a, I always talk about these three sort of, when I, whenever I start one of my rudimentary programs, I always talk about the comfort zone. And there's another zone beyond the comfort zone called the uncomfortable zone. And then there's a third zone, which is the unknown zone. And I believe that when you consciously live in the unknown zone, it's all about self-trust. And what I've developed is a, is, a, is a deep understanding of trusting myself. When I look at someone, without judgment, by the way, but I can see that it's almost, and I, this is going to sound very woo-woo, and I'm not a woo-woo guy, but it's, I almost feel like I can see their life story. It's almost like you can see it written in their face and, and how they hold their body and, you know, whether there's tension or whether they're just open. You can see by their authenticity or whether they're guard. And so I feel like, you know, I don't look one dimensionally at people. I, 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 I feel it. I feel them. I, I, I notice, I think, a lot of nuances. And then I trust myself to jump in fully so I don't hold anything back. When if you come into my home, like I just met a girl last night for the very first time, her, her boyfriend who I've just met, I, I just love this guy. And I told him, I said, you are a cool guy. I collect people and you're part of that collection. So he's already starting to come up the house and he brought his girlfriend, he wanted me to meet her. And you know, within a very short time, we're talking about things and she said things like, you know, I've never ever shared this with anyone. And that's what happens a lot with me is people will say, you know, I don't normally ever share this or I, I would never ever, you know, this is the first time I've ever really told anyone about this. And I think that that's a level of, you know, when, when you have a deep self-trust, then you evoke trust in others. And I have very, very big, a big principle or a big uh, value around keeping secrets. Like when people tell me things, I don't go and share them or spill them. And I think people can read that in me, right? So people will share things with me knowing that their, their words are safe in my mouth, right? This really is a gift that you have. Do you think you developed it or do you think it's something special you were given? You know, I'm not a believer necessarily. I mean, look, I, I won't say I'm not a believer because I, I, the Egyptians taught me something. You know, the Egyptians have a philosophy that there's many answers to every question. So, you know, like, you know, so in the early days of the pharaohs, the pharaohs believed that the, ha the sky was held up by the legs of four women, right? And, uh, and someone else had a philosophy that there were columns and someone else. And what the Egyptians always believed, the pharaohs believed that you could have five or 10 answers for something and they're all okay. And it taught me when I, and this was one of my early countries. And I thought, what if I adapt that? What if I don't have to have a belief system that's contrary to the person I'm with? Why can't I accept their belief? And then still have, if I, if it, even if I, it doesn't align necessarily with all what I maybe think about, I could still accept theirs and mine to live side by side without one being wrong, one being right, right? So one of the things I, I, I feel is that I think, you know, was I born with a gift? I don't know if I, I, I don't know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if gifts are given in birth. I, I don't know. I just think that most of the extraordinary people I've ever met, the ones that move me the deepest have been through life and they've experienced life in a certain way. And those things have developed the compassion, the heart, the, 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 the intuition. I mean, and you go back into a story and it's very few people you've ever met that they just sat on a mat you know, and people brought them food <laughs> and, and they ended up becoming this spiritual, you know, vessel. And I know in some Asian, Asian cultures that you, you could you could argue that's true. But then if you dig deeper into it and you look at how they were raised and the words they were taught from the earliest of ages when they were like the Dalai Lama, who has been one of my big inspirations. But then look at his life and how he was counseled from the time he could speak, you know, and the words that were given to him. You know, I don't think that was just, you know, intuitively. He just didn't get it right. I mean, does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And, and it's actually a great answer because it's an answer saying, listen, there's more than one right answer to these questions. And when you stop judging other people's answers, then that itself is, is kind of a gift. Yeah, I, I, yeah, that's exactly. So, you know, ever since I've known you, you've been a successful individual. Uh, you've become a, a wealthy man in more than one way, of course, financially, but in many ways. How, when did you make this shift from backpacker in trouble and, you know, wandering the world to somebody that really became the success story that you are? You know, I, I think that the, there was two parts to it. One is the backpacking part. Um, gave me a unique ability to, I, you know, when you're backpacking around the world and I had no money, I left with $500, right? 
And, and I just found out, I found a diary of mine. I thought it was $2,000. And for years I said I left with $2,000, but then I found my diary and I actually had $500. Wow. And that's what I left England with. But I went on a six day trip that just sort of fell into 10 and a half years, 42 countries. So I had to work in every single country I went to, which meant that when I, and I had this kind of rule where, you know, when I arrived, and this happened in Canada, when I arrived in a country, I wasn't allowed to spend any money or a new city. I wasn't allowed to spend any money until I had a job and somewhere to live. So I'd just have to go and knock on doors right away and I'd have to make this happen or I'd, I'd starve that night and I'd sleep out on the roof. And that's what I slept on a roof the first night in Canada. And I, you know, and I would, I would just go about this thing about, you know, connecting with people and I'd have to make things happen really, really quickly. Um, and so, you know, what, so that muscle, of adapting that muscle of you know being f more fearless than some other people. I wasn't fearless in business, but I certainly wasn't afraid of of people, you know, because I've been ar around so many different types of people. So I had these. I did have certain muscles already that were growing through my life experience. But then what happened was, you know, I was exposed to a two and a half day training program as part of a network marketing company, um, and I was like. You know, I'd never done any personal development. And they made us read a book called Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And, and I read that book cover to cover twice. And I, I thought, what, what if I live this principle? What if I, what if I, if, I, if I start to adapt what I'm reading here and bring it into life and start behaving this way right away? And I think it was eight months before I had my first $10,000 month. You know, and then it just kept growing and growing and growing. And I found out the more value I gave, the more I I mean, and I do this even today. I mean, is if I can help someone, I'm going to help people. And I don't need to get paid for everything I do. And I certainly am not, you know, I'm not interested in fame. Like, you know, it's not, it's not my thing. I don't want to be famous, right? But the, the, the idea then is I think it's two parts. One was I had this, this some internal muscles where I was courageous. But then I had this moment in history where something was presented to me. And instead of just reading it, I read it and began to live it and, and breathe it and eat it. And, and then with that fearlessness combined with a new mindset, I was able to sort of navigate myself. And the, uh, one of the big super, superpowers, if you want to call it that, was I love change. And so I didn't get, you know, I, I, it never bothered me if, if, if everything fell over. I, I never gave it another second. If my house burned down today and I have this gorgeous home, I wouldn't bother me. I wouldn't think about it more than a second because I just I've already accepted how I'm going to behave in every situation. If I lose my legs, I know exactly what's going to come out of my mouth when I wake up in the hospital. I'm going to be great and I'm going to be positive and I just I already so things don't pull me off center. So then there's this combination of things, this mindset, timing, and then the action I took once I was presented with something. And then as I sort of moved through with this new information, as things didn't work, I let them go and started something else. And I never held on to things too long unless it was working. And then, you know, it was just this kind of little journey through life. I started building companies and they're all quite different. You know, I'd have these exit strategies and, you know, sell them off, which gave me a lot more experience. And, you know, but, you know, it, it was a fascinating journey, but it certainly was a, you know, it wasn't an overnight success or anything like that. It's amazing what you can do when you are, and I'm going to go back to one of your answers a long time ago, when you're fearless. Because you're not afraid of what's on the other side if you fail. You said that you've got this contingency plan. You know what's going to happen next in any situation that could kind of pop up. What's one of the most important principles in that book, the book that changed your life, Think and Grow Rich? What's the most important principles that somebody should live by? Oh, my gosh. You know, um, you know, so funny because I read it so long ago. I'd like to say that I've read it since. Um, I think the... Um, can I, can I come back to that only yeah. because I, I, I'd like to think about it and I don't want to give a glib answer because I really need to, you know, I need to just think back of that moment because there was there was behavioral change that happened and it was around environment. I, I know what it was, but I can't remember the exact principle. But what happened was this. I remember waking up the next day and I was in a hotel room and I remember phoning the clerk and saying, do you mind removing the television from the room? Right. Wow. And and she came in and they took the television away. And I sat in this room and I thought, if I'm going to create something, and again, I can't define the actual principle of how it's written, but this was the action that happened immediately. And I remember sitting in this room now with no television, no distraction. 
and then thinking about the environment that I wanted to create, to create the success. And I thought about that with the people I was hanging out around with. And I thought, well, are they, are they adding to my life or are they, are they, are they taken away from my life? Do they, are they in alignment with the values and dreams that I suddenly started to think about? And I created a vision. I remember creating this little vision board. It was only on a, you know, a sheet of paper by these little, little cutouts on this little tiny vision board. But the, that was the, within that book, came this big awareness about my environment was everything. And, 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 and I made these definitive choices in that sort of like, as I closed the last page, hey, come and collect this TV, get it out of here, right? And, and, and then there was this kind of empty space to think, now what? You know, and I had no idea. I had holes in my shoes. You know, I had no money. I was, I was really, really broke. I mean, like really broke. And luckily, I, and I bumped into a guy, listen to this, he just sold a farm from Saskatchewan, Brian Oliver, he lives in Edmonton. He's an insurance guy. If you ever bump into him, anyone, just go and give him a great big hug. And he sold a farm, so he had some money. He was driving across Canada in a car that had 770,000 kilometers on it. Oh, jeez. You know? But because he was a farmer, they just looked after this car their whole life. His father had it, passed it to him. It was, you know, it was just, they didn't care it was old. And, you know, he financed me. Imagine this, this guy started to finance my journey. He just loved who I was. And he said, you know what? You need a break. And he, you know, he bought me a plane ticket to Toronto. He sent me money to, to pay for my rent. This is a stranger virtually. I just bumped into him and I paid all that money back. Um, and he knew I was going to. It was just a handshake. But that was the kind of, you know, the, the, the principle within the book was all around, you know, changing the environment, you know, and, and then sort of starting to, to, to look at the people in my life and who did I want to attract in my life. And I started to attract these really cool people that for some reason said, hey, buddy, you know what, we're going to I'm going to give you money so that you can take that first step. <laughs> That's fascinating. What do you think he saw in you? Why do you think why do you think he chose you to do that? Certainty. I know exactly what it was. It was certainty. And I always say one of my quotes is certainty is sexy. You know, I remember walking into a bank at the same time. There was a, this is in Kelowna, British Columbia, and I needed $6,400. And I remember sitting on this banker. I mean, remember, I've been backpacking around the world, had no credit history. And this Paul Grombaum, he sat there and I told him, I said, listen, I'm going to sit here until you give me this money. You've got to look in my eyes and know that I am going to pay you this money back. I can't prove it. I've got nothing to, no guarantee, no, no guarantors, no guarantees, no nothing. You know what? He gave me 6,400 bucks. Jeez. <laughs> and, and, and it was, yeah, three months it took me to get it back to him. And he's like, you didn't have to give me that fast. I said, but I told you I'd give you it back. I just needed help in that moment, right? And I've never asked for help. Remember, I left home when I was 15. I left school when I was 15. So I've been on my own, my whole life and I rarely really ever ask for help but that was one of those moments right let's talk about that certainty that that confidence that you have that everything's gonna be okay you're an expert trainer in many many areas but especially in the area of training people to present themselves in the right way I don't care if it's on stage or doing a Facebook live or whatever you give them that confidence to present well what is something that somebody can do to gain this certainty that you kind of use as one of your superpowers um well, I mean, certainty is um, is a, sort of born in our belief system, right? And 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 I think that one of the things that what I, when I started to listen to my mind and the tricks my mind played, and if we understand how the brain works, there's these characters that I like to call like the psycho-cybernetic mechanism, right? And I could just call it the cycle, right? Or the RAS, the reticular activating system. And we start to understand how the brain's hardwired. We start to realize that the brain isn't on our side. The brain is not designed to make us rich and happy. If it was, then every one of us would wake up and we'd say, hey, Chris, hey, wakey, wakey, buddy. Chris, you are awesome. Chris, you look amazing in that mirror. Look at you, naked guy. Whoa. <laughs> That's the brain we'd have. We'd have a, a cheerleading brain, right? Yeah. But actually, we don't. Most people, and I've, all the people I've ever trained, you know, self-worth and self-love are these two, you know, crazy things that, almost every human being on the planet is dealing with in some level. They look in the mirror, they don't love what they see. That, that little voice in their head, which is born, that is not something we're born with. You know, there's a person we're born to be, the person we've learned to be, because of our environment, we learn to survive or adapt in our environment. So often our thoughts are the ones given to us by our environment. And you know, and, and that whole saying, what we think about, we bring about. And I'm absolutely certain of that. You have shitty thoughts. You're gonna bring shitty things. Right? You're gonna be a little, you know, a little shit magnet. I don't know if you swore on your show there, but I oh, apologize. Yeah. Go for it. But, 
But but the idea then is that I started to sort of notice this this this, this thinking and and then and this this you know the idea that my brain was not designed to to bring me to where I wanted to be. So I had to start to believe. I had to start to rewrite my own code to have a belief system where it wasn't about being perfect. It was just about being human and, and authentic. So I'm not, when I train trainers, and I love training trainers because they have impact, right? So through the trainers, I've trained a lot of trainers, right? I want to train 10,000, but I'm probably trained a few thousand. And what happens, I always say about being transparent, is I should be able to look through. A great trainer has nothing to hide. And their stories are not, I mean, even the worst stories are the worst things they've ever done, the worst lies, or if they cheated on their wife, whatever it is. It's not that we need to wield it. But we don't need to hide from it. The, the authenticity of who we, you know, the journey, we should be transparent all the way see through. And if we're see through, there's nothing to hide. And if someone asks us a question, we can we can answer it with honesty, without the fear of what people think of us, which is what the game most of us play, right? And so then what happens is when we let go of the need to of the approval of others, suddenly we start to have self-approval, and then we start the rewiring process where, yeah, you know, you look in the mirror and you start to fall in love with who you are now in the journey and don't regret the things you've done on the, on the journey to get here. Because I would, if I went back and changed one thing, Chris, I am convinced if I moved one piece of this puzzle and all the things I've done poorly and all the things I've done wrong, I wouldn't be sitting here with the compassion or the understanding or the certainty or the love that I have for people, right? It's true. It is all part of who formed who you are right now, right? And so you, that goes back to when you said you have no regrets because all of that good or bad at the moment has become an asset in your life. Is that correct? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Do you have any rituals or routine that uh, makes sure you're only allowing the correct thoughts in your mind if we're really waking up with these prehistoric negative brains every morning? Yeah. Uh, yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, obviously, I think everyone you probably interview does that. I am very conscious of a few things, right? One is, what is my first thought, right? My first thought is always around gratitude. It's always around wonder. Um, I, 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 I always, and I almost work with, wait with a start. I didn't know where I am. I was like, <gasps> and I, I want to look outside, and or sometimes I don't have to look outside, but I just want to sort of notice though of where I'm at and how grateful I am to be in this life. And, and that sounds odd, but it's so cool. And then the, one of the big rituals is this. But, and you and I have been out. We've had a few drinks together, right? And mm -hmm. we've tied a few on in a, in a short time together. But, you know, if I've had the latest night and I drank too much and I feel like crap, right? What, one of the main rituals, and I've been doing this for eons, right? And I can't remember how far it goes back, is my connection to water. So what I'll do is I'll drag my sorry butt to the, to, the, to the shower. And I have a trigger. When that water hits my body, everything is just washed away. And, and what I do is I, it's almost like I put my cape on. You talk about superpowers. Yeah. It's like, and I can walk in there dragging and I can walk out fully empowered and completely alive. Because I believe the mind, like I, I don't use medicine. I haven't used medicine in, well, since I was a little boy. Right? I don't use, I, I believe the, the power of the mind and the power of healing, I, I believe that. So I believe that I can walk in there and I can completely put aside how my physical body is and I can reignite myself to be completely how I wanna be, regardless of whether, you know, my friends always joke, how come you don't get hangovers, <laughs> right? Well, I choose not to have them, <laughs> that's one of the things, right? And I also have meditation, meditation changed my life. The reason I left England was I met a girl who was um, was uh, ran a health food store, which was very rare back then. You think how, I mean, we're talking about uh, when I was 20, so we're talking 36 years ago, 37 years ago, right? And so, um, and she she had a, a guru, and she, uh, Maharaji, and, and she asked me to go to this event where I learned how to meditate. And when I started meditating, I started writing poetry. And in that poetry, there was a message that kept coming out. And remember, I was doing, I was getting high all the time. I was getting drunk all the time. I was just this guy. I was in trouble with the police. So I was in this, caught up in this really kind of negative little world. And here I am writing this beautiful poetry. And if you want, I'll tell you one of the, I mean, I, I haven't seen it for years, but I remember it. It was profound and it actually moved the direction of my life. And it, it, one of them started, and it wasn't great poetry. It was just me talking to me. It was like my deepest self was saying something to this, you know, my non-conscious mind was talking to my conscious mind saying, hey Dave, wake the hell up. And it was something like, it was like this, it was like, you know, to be alone in a crowded room, is there something wrong with me? How come the people around me can't see the things I see? It's easy to take another drink and obscure the life we've made and hide behind faded minds what stupid games we play. 
striving to accomplish, to make our coffers full, to build our little kingdom that we try and vain. It goes on and on and on, right? But the idea that I'm writing this, you know, in my drunken high stupor, and I started to read it, and that's when, when I when I left with that five hundred dollars, was there was something I felt calling me that I was starting to notice. I didn't want to live my life this way, but it's the only world I knew. I didn't know another world. It didn't exist for me. The only world you know is the one you're in, right? So. That's fat. You've now answered the question I've had this whole time, by the way, which is why you can be out all night long and show up on that stage like nothing happened the next morning. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I've always wondered that. Okay. So water being a trigger and meditation. I'm, I'm switching to that routine in the morning. So you seem like you have everything really put together and really all figured out. And we all look up to you in that way. But I know everybody's always a work in progress. What is something that you are working through right now, David? Mm. Well, you know, I think it's just focus. I think that I, uh, to focus on, because obviously impact is something that I do regardless. I mean, you know, I, I, I work all over the world and I'm fortunate to do so. Um, and, you know, my work is, there, there are things I love to do and there's things that I do um, to help other people, right? So there's a company I do a lot of work with and I would say that some of the work I do is very rudimentary for somebody who loves to do the kind of work I do, right? Um, so I think that, you know, the, the, the fact of saying focus uh, and, and, and bringing some things to life right now that would amplify the impact in a profound and a much larger way. But there's this dance that I'm in. I told you about this, so, you know, when I grow up, right? Mm -hmm. There's a dance I'm in right now about just loving having this space where, because my kids are at this certain age where I wanted to really be available. And I'm not just... No, just say I am, but to be out on a whim, just be able to, you know, do whatever I want around them. So I've created all this space, and in this space, I've actually slowed down to almost a stop, <laughs> and I haven't lived my life at a stop forever, right? And but but I don't feel like I've stopped. I feel like I'm 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 sort of treading water because I want to be I want to be in this moment, and it's kind of like you know, it's like inertia. You know, or, or you know that rocket ship taking off. It takes a lot to get a rocket ship going, and 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 so that would say I'd say I'm working on is this kind of you know what's this next? I, I believe my, my life's a chap. You know, I, I think of my life in chapters, and you know I can turn the page of a chapter very quickly. And it's it's kind of like I, I haven't fully discovered what I want the next chapter to look like, and and for someone like me that's unusual because normally I just see something and I go and I just go in fully. But I'm kind of in this really, and you can feel this in me. You and I have had this conversation before. But I'm really loving it. It's not like I feel, oh my God, you know. I, I just feel like, wow, this is what standing still feels like. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, you know, this is what you know, just being able to enjoy the moment. And you know, I love to cook. You know, and I mean, this week I've cooked for I don't know, five different people, five nights in a row. My, my neighbors are coming over tonight for a tikka masala. You know, but I just like being in this moment where it's not about conquering the world. It's just about being in my body and being in my heart and just enjoying it. So I don't know. I mean, but I do feel like I'm in a bit of a limbo if I'm being completely honest. What a gift though to all of us, because there's times that Laurie and I feel like we're in a massive push, like a six month push. And then there's times when we're exhausted and want to do nothing but be, and you're doing that on an even bigger scale, right? You'll have longer pushes and then there's a longer period of just traveling and just being and being with your sons and all that. So it gives all of us permission to be able to live these different seasons, so to speak. Yeah. I love the way you say that, seasons, that seasons. So let's go back a moment to this troublemaking, world-wandering backpacker. I'm guessing you probably didn't value uh, money very much back then. No, I didn't. I mean, my mom was, you know, she still lives in the same house, and my mom was always broke, right? Um, and my association with money was, you know, like most of my dad was old-school military work hard, get a job, work for the same company for your entire life, get a pension. Um, and he still feels that. I mean, he's 90. We're, we're celebrating his 90th birthday. Um, so, yeah, I had no relationship with money whatsoever. Um, and it was just my mom every Christmas would get into massive amounts of debt. She'd order everything from magazines, and that's what we learned, right? And my sister still to this day struggles financially. I mean, like in the in the, in a, a very, very like, you know, scarce. Like the, if you look at archetypes, she would be the money monk archetype and she would be, um, you know, living with scarcity. Um, she's got a beautiful heart, but money has never come to her and she, she struggles with that dance with money, right? So then when did you start to value money? When did that change for you? Um, again, I think around the time I started to, uh, to 
do the personal development. Um, and I made a decision that it wasn't about being wealthy. It was about creating freedom. And freedom in a Western world is different because I'd live a free life. I mean, I, I could I could have pitched my hammock anywhere. I, I've lived in some of the most gorgeous places on the planet. And people always think of a backpacker living in a hostel. I mean, sometimes I was living in mansions and, you know, because I met people so easily. And, you know, I these, but but the idea of freedom versus, you know, for but, but what was that? What does freedom mean? So the idea that, you know, it's actually easier for me to like some of my doctor friends who have practices, you know, and they, you know, they, they drive nice cars and live in big houses and they have expensive lifestyles. Um, when I realized that it was actually easier for my friend who was broke and, you know, a, a minimum wage or, or, or a teacher, it was easier for to help them become financially free than it was for the doctor because they had so much expense. So then this little, the idea about simplicity, and I understood that because I lived, I lived a simple life, is that it's not about how much money we make. It's really you know, how much how does our money work for us. But it's also about, you know, the idea that um, that I could create freedom without having to be a multi-multi-millionaire. Now, once I started doing that, the more and more money started to come in, and I was able to do more and more and more, but then I started to make my money work harder. I, I started to understand the difference between residual income, passive income, um, and, and, and working income, and I started to realize that you know, I wanted this, uh, you know, I wanted to, to, to understand it, to still have freedom, and not be locked in by lifestyle, which a lot of people do. They buy the bigger car, the bigger house, the bigger this, you know. And and so so the the the, the what people see is important. And I realized that that's not the game I wanted to play. I wanted to have that wealth that was more hidden. And although I live a <laughs> very opulent lifestyle, I imagine by you know most standards. Um, but but that, that was that deep understanding. So then I started to study money. But then I started to study you know what behavior and what archetype am I? And I'm a avoider spender. So then knowing what archetype I am, so you got the avoider, you got the spender, you got the money monk, you got the hoarder, right? And and each of those archetypes are you know are can create a certain result. And if you're a spender, you know, then it doesn't matter how much money you make, you're going to be spending. If you're a hoarder, you know, the, the energy of hoarding can be negative. So you want to have a relationship with money where you're not afraid to go spend money. I have friends who are hoarders and that's a, they've got lots of money, but they're just fearful. Right. And so then I looked at the root of money. Where did my behavior come from? And I, I studied my parents and understood where every, my, so if you look at a blueprint of money, your thoughts, feelings, and actions are your blueprint. What, how you think, how you feel, and how you act around money is your financial blueprint. And then you know, how you think, feel, and act around relationships is your relationship blueprint. So how, but where do your thoughts come from? What environment? So I went back and looked into my environment and realized that where my financial behaviors came from was my parents. This was my birthright. But it didn't mean I had to be that way. But I did have an archetype, which was an avoider spender, which means that I had to then protect myself from my archetype. So I started to put some things in place where, you know, because, um, you know, I'm not the best money manager, but I have really great money managers work with me. And I have a, an incredible bookkeeper. And I, and I started to build a life where I could be in my archetype but not have to resist it. I still love to go out and spend money, but I don't spend all my money, right? I, 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 and so there's this kind of deeper understanding as I went through all of this process to sort of get to a place where I have a beautiful relationship with money and it, I attract a lot of money and I can't believe how much money I attract into my life and I'm able to, 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 to make that money work and I can spend it without any guilt. So I have this kind of like wonderful dance going on. Could I have more money? For sure I could. You know, I often wonder, you know, why, why didn't I ever set myself on becoming a billionaire? Well, well, you know, when I look at Branson or Musk, I mean, why not? It just wasn't on my DNA. I don't have that goal, right? What are these archetypes? So where do these come from? Where do they come from? These archetypes. Well, I, like, because, well, I study, you know, because I taught money for so long, right? So, yeah. I mean, this, I mean, this is a whole program we could do on this, right? But, you know, the, the archetype of, you know, if you look at energy or archetype, depending on how you would call it, right? But think about it. You know, spender, avoider, money monk, hoarder. And they did some studies, and this is a while ago, and they looked at you know, what the main archetypes are. And then if you get two different archetypes living together, that's where you see so many problems in relationships around money, right? Because if two people have two very, very different relationships with money, you can see, and a lot of divorces happen around money. A lot of arguments happen around money, right? Um, you look at when, when I'm a big believer in people having a will. 
a big believer because I've gone through it when people don't. But you see how many families fall apart um, because money was given to one person, not the other. So money has this, you know, money's a beautiful thing if you understand the energy of money, right? But again, you know, it can be a very destructive force as well because people, they put so much into it. You know, I was telling you before the show that I was just in Vanuatu, which is in the South Pacific, easily the happiest people on the planet Earth. Easily where I've ever been. I've been to 85 countries now. And, and when I asked them, I said, tell me. And I kept asking all different people, tell me why everyone's so happy in this village and you have nothing. Right. And I said, well, we don't have to think about money. Money isn't part of our, our culture. So no one you don't need money to live well here. You don't need money. If you want to have a boat and put gas in the engine, you'll need money. But otherwise, everything grows on the trees and we can catch it in the ocean and we help each other. No one starves here. So, you know, you don't, you can walk and wander in the village hungry and you're going to get fed. So money is a very, very secondary thing. But obviously, I love money and so do you. And I think it's a, the love of money is an your show. And I think we should have a love of money. But again, understanding our own behaviors is really important. Okay, I'm fascinated by the archetype. So hoarder, that's self-explanatory. Spender, that's self-explanatory. What's an avoider and what's a money monk? Well, an avoider, right? And you avoiders out there are going to laugh, right? So an avoider would be someone who, like, like me, right? I don't know where my mailbox is. I have a staff that does that, right? So the staff goes and picks up the mail. I have some in my bookkeeper, you know, like, um, so you avoid. You avoid, like when the bill comes, you don't look at the bill, sure, right? So the hoarder, if I don't open the credit card statement, then it's not there. Right. So a lot of you, well, we a lot of avoiders, right? So when, the, let's say you're at a restaurant. So the money monk would, would, would not be ordering meat. <laughs> they'd, they'd have their, they'd have their, um, uh, you know, their, uh, their bowl of, they wouldn't be spending a whole lot of money. They, they, that money is scuzzy to them. Money is, they can't have love and money you can't be spiritual and have money so there's this sort of like disconnect between money and 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 their purpose in the world beautiful beautiful people but they my sister's a money monk right so she she's she just can't seem to say that i can i can charge my value so these money monks will do a lot of handwork reiki and they'll give it away for free you know this is sort of they're trapped in this world of giving great great hearts but again, their association with money is quite different. The avoider is someone that, again, they just go through life and they avoid all contact with money. So they, they, they don't read their bills. They don't open their, their statements. Right? They often fall behind on their bills if there's not a mechanism in place. And there's this sort of detachment, this avoidance of, 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 of money, right? That's a main archetype. And of course, the spender, you understand, they, they get it, they spend it. They big watch, big car, big everything, big payment, right? But they're always spending, right? And then the, um, um, the hoarder, again, can, can be a very dark energy because they can often have a lot of money, but they have fear associated with spending it, right? Okay, so I, and this is going to sound like two polar opposites here. I'm probably a spender hoarder, whereas I love to buy really nice things, and yet I love to, for the lack of a better term, collect money. I see it as like a scoreboard, and I'm obsessed with making this net worth scoreboard continue to grow and grow and grow. Is there a correct archetype to have or a correct combo to have, or is it more about understanding who you are and then managing it? Yeah, I think managing is what's the energy. Cause if that hoarder was that you were, you know, you were obsessed, you use the word obsessed, right? So the obsession is, and, and I would argue that possibly, uh, if you had to choose between hoarding or spending, that would depend on how much money you're making. Because I've watched your income double, triple, quadruple, right? So suddenly, you know, you're making millions of dollars, right? Mm -hmm. And I would argue that, you know, you have a goal probably set somewhere in your, you know, in your psyche about 10 million or 100 million. Mm -hmm. But I, I'm guessing you have a number that you're saying, I want 100 million in the bank. But mm -hmm. I'm guessing it's quite big. Yep. And I, I, right? And, and, but if you were making a smaller amount of money, like if, if you were struggling financially, which you're not, the, the question I would have is, what would become more important for you then? Would it be the spending or would it be the hoarding? What would take the, what would take mm. the, the energy? I think because of course, the hoarding would kind of kick in at that point out of fear, right? The fear, because you, you're like, oh, my God, I have to have this number. Otherwise, because you said you're obsessed with it. The spending is something as a byproduct. But you're saying, because I think your rationale would be, hey, listen, let's, let's put so much percentage 
away all the time, or let's, this whole income, let's not even touch it. I just imagine you and Laurie sitting around chatting, right? <laughs> let's not touch this income at all. Let's just stuff that one away and let's enjoy this one. Let's live the, because you're, you know, you're selling freedom. So you need, you don't need, but you're choosing to show, you know, your, you know, your lifestyle and the, the, the holidays and the car, the house, you know, this incredible lifestyle. And that's what you're, you know, you're living. But the, your DNA is also hardwired to say, guess what? This number is really big. Because, and what is it, by the way? What is the number? Is it 100 million? Do you have you uh, disclosed, or would you disclose your number that you're looking at? 10 million, 30 million? You 50? know, I feel like at 50 million dollars, you are really set up to have all the freedom that you want. And as I say that, I realize how ridiculous of a statement that is because you can choose to have a freedom lifestyle at any, you can have a freedom lifestyle at $50,000. You really can. So it's really comes down to a personal preference of how do you want to live that freedom lifestyle? But let me tell you a little bit of a why behind it, just because you asked. So I was at a pencils of promise gala and there's a gentleman there um, that was sitting next table over his name's Tim Sykes. And he had just given them a million bucks about 30 days prior to this gala. This was in December. And he stood up right before the auction. There's only 600 of us in this room. And he says, wait, wait, wait. He goes, I want all of you to spend as large as you can tonight and to help incentivize you. I will match every single dollar spent at the auction here. So he ended up matching about another $700,000 there on the spot. So for him to be able to just make that snap decision to give $1.7 million to that one cause in that one moment, for I left there with another friend of mine, Lewis, and we shook on it. We, we said, okay, that's the level of giving and impact that we want to get to. So that's the big driver behind that number I've chosen is I feel like I can be as big of a giver as I want to be without, and here's where fear kicks in, without the fear of running out or the fear of that being a, you know, generosity to a fault. Sure, sure. And I, and I love that. And you asked me a question earlier. Can I, can I share? Because I think Please. that there's, yes. there's a, uh, what I give, I love to give, um, <laughs> And I do it a lot, this kind of thing. Like I bought people homes. Uh, Paul, Paul uh, and uh, Suzanne, who you know, we were in a situation in Belize one time where we bought this young couple a house together, right? And I mean, talk about a life-changing event when someone buys you a home where most people in the country can't afford to ever buy a home, right? Mm -hmm. That kind of idea, you can do that. But it wasn't an extraordinary amount of money. It wasn't millions and millions of dollars, but it was this, 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 this tangible impact right and, and and the reason i'm going to share a couple of these is just to give some ideas for those people who want to do what you're doing and the 50 million and i can see that you do lots of things without 50 million and i want to make sure that your people understand that they they're not going to wait till they have 50 million to do beautiful things with the money they have because if they don't have a lot they could still have massive impact does that does that make sense absolutely and that's Am one I of the okay? things that's one of the things we try to teach is if you're not a giver now you're not going to be a giver once you have x number of dollars either so you got to start developing that muscle early here can I give you two other examples just to give people ideas? Because yes. a lot of people, and I think of these all the time. And I'm always, so my sons and I, we, I, get, I still get lost. I live in a town of 150,000 people, but I never care where I'm at, right? So I'm often, I, I, people say, it's on this street. I say, where is it? I've lived here for 18 years. <laughs> right? It's just crazy, right? But we, we got lost, but kids wanted a subway. And we walk into this subway sandwich shop, and there is two girls, obviously not from, uh, from Canada by the accents and the color of their skin. Um, and it's Christmas time about maybe a month before Christmas. And I start talking to them because I'm fascinated where you're from, da 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 And they're from the Caribbean, right? And I love the Caribbean, spent a lot of time there. And I said to them, I said, oh, you must be excited to be going home. And they're like, well, actually, and they're studying at UBC. And they said, well, no, we can't go home this year. We just can't afford it. I said, really? And I said to them, because I have to be careful as a man asking for a phone number. I said, yeah. listen, here's my girlfriend's phone number. Why don't you give her a call? Because I think I can help you. So I told, and the boys on the way home, I said, you know what, I've got, I've got gazillions of points. I said, I'm going to just, you know, give them my points and they both fly home for Christmas, right? And this is that kind of moment, moment thing. And so they did phone. We were able to send them away back to home for Christmas using points, right? And, and, and it was, that was incredible, right? So there's another example of giving. Does it make sense? Yeah, that's it. Um, so here's what's really cool. One of the signature questions I always ask is, you know, meant to inspire other people, you know, either to give bigger or ways to give. I always ask each one of my guests, what's one of your all-time favorite acts of giving? So would you share another one? Because these are awesome. 
Well, this one happened recently in Mexico, because and, and I love this one because it involved another party. And what I found is when you start to give and you're giving without expecting, you're not giving to, to, to and I, again, normally I wouldn't make it public, but for the same reason Chris does, is to inspire other people to do it rather than, hey, listen, aren't I great for giving? But I'm in Mexico, and when I'm, whenever I'm in a country, if I pick, and I speak, my Spanish isn't fluent, but my Spanish is pretty good. And so this, this, um, this taxi driver picks me up, and I really like him. And we, we, you know, we start chatting, da 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 da. da. I said to him, "Look, why don't I use you every day I'm here?" And and she said, "Thank you." So then I just call him. He'd come down, pick me up. And of course, as we get to know each other, um, I, I I said I want to meet the family. But he takes me to his house, and he lives in this little tiny place, you know. And he's got these three beautiful kids and his wife, and and she's quite really really shy. And when he even came to bring his family uh, to the hotel, they weren't allowed to come into the hotel. They had to stand outside the gate. And then he'd pick us up, and then we'd go and pick up his family. And we took his family out to a, a beautiful day. We went to a, a place they normally couldn't go. They don't speak any English. I'm there with my girlfriend, and we had this great day. And when I'm sitting alone with his wife, I tell, tell me about your family. And here we are. We're down in Tulum, right? And she said, well, my family way up north, right, up in the, the Copper Canyon. And I love that region. I said, well, when was the last time you saw them? She said, well, 15 years ago. And I said, well, well, how come? She said, well, we just, we can't afford to go. And I don't want to go without my husband. He's never met my family. So I had that vision right then. I said, you know, and I said, I said, well, when's the next week? And this is how synchronicity works. When you want to give and you want to give in the moment without big plans, you just listen to someone. Can I help? Do I want to help? Am I in the mood to help? Do I have the finances to help? And so I says, uh, I, I said, I'm going to send you home. And, and it just so happened that Samana Santa was coming up and he was going to take a week off. This is already planned. And we're talking about, what, seven days from when we were having that conversation. They just happened to be taking a week off. So I, and we looked at different ways to get them there. The flights were crazy expensive, but a first class bus ticket, first class, they wasn't that crazy. And I still a few thousand bucks, but it still wasn't crazy, crazy. And so I, I talked to, I, I was staying in a hotel where I had a butler, <laughs> sounds opulent, right? But this guy, this guy comes in and I asked him to help me do this thing because it's in Spanish online, da, da, da. And my credit card wouldn't go through. You know what happened? This guy, who's a you know, concierge kind of butler guy, he says, don't worry, Dave, I'll put it on my credit card. Wow. And then you could just send me the money when you get back to Canada. Look at, look at the, wow. just the, the, yes, the very nature of this guy who's still, you know, he's not overly paid. This was his savings. And he, uh, we talked to him about his financial proof. And he said, well, I just try and save as much because I have a dream to buy a house one day. So here he is giving me thousands of dollars on his credit card, having only just met me. And then said, when you get to Canada, just send it back to me. Right? How cool is that? I mean, that the the trust that he had in you to do that, and you could almost argue the detachment that he had to that money, right? So he didn't have fear around money where he was going to lose that, or he didn't have this sense of lack. He just had this sense of abundance that, hey, that's what it's there for for this moment, and he trusts that the stranger is going to give it back to him. Exactly. It's amazing. Exactly. So let me ask you this: Why do you suppose that people have such walls up when it comes to discussing and asking for and receiving money and and People like you and I, we love to have the discussion. What's the difference and how can people get there? I think that what happens is, again, money is a learned behavior, right? And, and so few people are, are aware about money. I mean, like, for example, I do this experiment in all my programs. And we can do it online here right now. If you all sort of think about your average income over the last 10 years, if you're, if you're older, if you're younger, then of the last five years, if you're really young, maybe you've only been working for two years, just what's your income right now? And then what I do is imagine a stick man or a stick woman, and there's a bubble over your head. And all I want you to do is I want you to throw that number in there. So if your average income is 30,000 a year, or your average income, let's say you're a school teacher, it's gonna be 45 to 60,000 a year. Electrician, it's gonna be between 50 and $75,000 a year, right? Every profession has a number. And what we do is we go after a profession, but we never realize with the profession comes this number this number that we're gonna be willing to trade our time for for the rest of our life, right? Because most people keep their professions. Mm -hmm. And when I show people this and say, holy crap, my number's $30,000. And, and then what I do is, again, I mean, you think of, uh, you know, uh, even a, 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 like a, a professional, you know, it's $120,000, let's say. And that's my number. But, you know, for a professional, they work their butts off and they have no free time to get that 120. So then we start, everyone's got a number. I didn't know this, that I had a number. I didn't know that there was a number that I was willing to trade my life for. No one ever told me that, right? 
And then I thought, well, add a zero. Now, you people at home, just add a zero to your number. So 60 is 650. Then I realized, well, what, what, who do I have to become? What do I have to be? Who do I have to become? And what do I have to understand and learn to add a zero? To simply add one zero to my number, what would have to change internally, right? And because parents and grandparents and the lineage of money, mostly some families, again, avoiders don't even talk about it at all. Spenders show their kids how to spend. Money monks, they're so f afraid and, and, and detached from money that their children grow up in a, in a world where, where you know, money's thought of as scuzzy and that contribution. That's why you see these people who, you know, <laughs> I, I remember when I lived in Caslow, I lived in this small town of 800 people and people used to call me a yuppie because I cleaned my shoes, right? And, you know, and, and, and people like the tree huggers, who are friends of mine, would say, I'm going to go hug, hug this tree and save it. I said, why don't you fucking make some money and buy it? If you want to save the tree, become rich and buy the freaking forest and then they can't cut it down. I mean, it was just, that was kind of what I started to realize. And when I realized, Chris, that I had, I had control over my number, but first of all, I had to know I had one. And then it comes down to three points of success, right time, right vehicle, right you, right time, right vehicle, right you. So then you've got to say, well, to change the number, I've got to, be, I've got to find a vehicle that would allow me to change the number, right? And I have to, it's got to be a vehicle that's moving at the right time, and then it's about right you. What do I have to learn and study? And I can talk, I mean, if you ever want to talk about relationships, and I, I study uh, intimacy. And I've studied it for my whole life. I always constantly want to push the barriers of intimacy and connection and sex and understanding. Especially I've got two young men now in my life. I want them to be extraordinary lovers, not good ones. But it's the same with sex as it is with money. I mean, guys don't sit around and talk to each other about how to become extraordinary lovers. It's just not there. And very few people sit around and say, let's talk about becoming incredibly wealthy. And we have these taboos and barriers, but they're based on our environment and, and, and what we are taught to or how we're taught to behave and think through our environment and unless we change the environment we can't change the thoughts which can't change the feelings which won't change the actions and the results never lie so if you've got results of no money then you have to go back to the environment look at how you're thinking look at how you're feeling change the actions you'll change the results right it's, it's fascinating that's the formula for success right there so if i'm listening to this right now and i say okay wow this is my wake-up call you know i've been making 40,000 a year i'm going to add a zero should be 400,000 how do i get there what should be their very first step because you just gave a very robust formula once they're aware what should be the very first step well environment you got to look at your environment is your environment one so when you are you are you are you are, you, are there people that you can talk to like you're talking obviously listening to this podcast for a reason so i'm guessing you have an environment or starting to have an environment and i would say that notice this Notice when you're around people, when you walk away from them, do you feel like, like bigger? Do you feel, do you feel better inside? Do you feel what? Or do you feel like drawn more negative? Or, 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 you know, are you talking about people? Or are you talking about ideas, right? So the idea is notice the environment. And then you gotta look at, well, what vehicle am I in? Because if you're a school teacher right now, to be able to add a zero, there has to be a vehicle that would be something you could look for that would allow you to A, have a better environment, that would allow you then to be able to grow that income, which means growing yourself. What am I saying? Well, actually, I think it came from somebody else, but I use it all the time. Is you know, my wealth can only grow to the extent I grow myself. My wealth can only grow to the extent I grow myself. So then, well, so what's the number one investment first? You. And so you start pouring new good things in, start listening to new ideas, put yourself into a vehicle. Now, for me, I'm a professional network marketer, and I, I believe in network marketing. I'm not trying to sell anyone on network marketing, but there's very few vehicles in the world where a normal person can step in and over three, five, seven, ten years create freedom. Uh, because the environments aren't set up that way. This environment, if they chose the right company, can do that. So the right vehicle, right timing, and the right you, those are the, this is this combination, but first, change the environment, change what's going in your head. Like, well, I, I went back to getting rid of the television, you know, get rid of the television. I mean, those people, by the way, if you have a television in your bedroom, please unplug it. Yeah, we, we do not. <laughs> yeah. It's a rule for our marriage. Of course. I mean, try another one. Don't have a phone in there either. No, get, buy a real alarm clock and don't allow phones in your bedroom either. And leave those outside. So when you go, I, mean, I have a friend, when you go to their house, they have a basket and all the phones have to go in the basket. Oh, that's right? cool. So you're not allowed. And the basket goes in the office. Now, if you want to go and take photographs, you can go get your phone. And most people say, I want to take a photograph. What they really want to do is check their Facebook page. <laughs> but, but the idea is that all the phones go in a basket when they're, when they're socializing, right? 
That, that's, that's genius. I love that. That's cool. I love those little life hacks like that. My wife has a saying. She says, your environment is stronger than your willpower. That's exactly what you're saying. I don't care what, how big your goals are. I don't care you know, how fired up and ready you are, you are to go. Your environment is going to make or break you. So I, I absolutely love that. So David, before I ask you the last signature question, where can we find you? Where can we follow you? All right. That's easy. David T.S. Wood. David T.S. Wood. Uh, Instagram, Facebook, the same. Um, again, I, I, I do a little bit here and there, but you know, it's just a place to come find me. I, there is some new stuff coming out, but David T.S. Wood. Um, Are you able to share what's coming out? Um, Don't just, feel obligated. Yeah. No, actually, you know what? I'll do, next, on the next show, I'm, I'm convinced I'm coming back on. Because yes. we, we've got other things to talk about. I yes. want to talk about relationships with you. Because this crowd, you, you know, money and everything, you know, everything's tied together. How we do love is how we do money, right? It's, yes. it's all tied. So I'd love to talk about that. All right. <laughs> I love it. That's a date. That's a date right okay. there. All, all right. right. Signature question. Here we go. Why should people be unapologetic about their pursuit of success and or wealth? Wow. That's a great question again. You know, um, well, you know, let's talk about the word apology what it means, you know, to apologize, right? To, to apologize, to live in a world where, now we apologize, you know, if I, if I ran my, my, my neighbor's dog over, I'm gonna apologize, right? I get that. But to apologize about our life, to, to, to apologize about our pursuit, what it tells me is that the people you're hanging around with simply lack vision. And that's what happened to me. If I hadn't left England, remember, everyone I knew, I call it the Rolls-Royce syndrome, like in, in England, if you saw a Rolls Royce with a, I mean, I grew up in a, in a council estate, you know, you're as likely to take a, a coin and scratch it and say something like those rich bastards, right? Because there was this sort of separation. So unapologetic means that if you have to apologize for your pursuit of your dreams and goals, it tells me that the environment that you're currently in, not that you have to leave it all together. But you have to understand it's that, 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 that sense that the feeling of the need to apologize is because you want something that does not match the current environment you're in. And as soon as you leave it, and I had to divorce all my friends, and I say that lovingly, you young people listening, I, I, I divorced every negative influence. Now, not, I can hang around negative people now because I don't get sucked into them. I don't get sucked into their energy anymore. I could be around negative people and I find their energy is going to lift around me because I don't see it. Now, I wouldn't hang around someone if they're constantly yipping in my ear about negativity, but the idea of unapologetic pursuit of happiness, unapologetic pursuit of wealth, and, and what does that mean to you? Wealth's a funny thing, right? But the idea of why, why, why apologize about anything you decide, right? Why, 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 why live with the apology on your lips? But when you can walk through life and you can uh, truly value yourself, you know, you truly, you know, I, I always say unapologetic. I love that word, unapologetic unapologetic success, right? But that doesn't mean you're not compassionate. That doesn't mean that you're not supremely kind. That doesn't mean that you don't love and squeeze the juice out of relationship. It just means that in the pursuit of real success, you are not going to be held down or anchored to people who can't see it. You're willing to cut those strings and you're willing to sail into new oceans and discover new people that who can talk like this, right? Does that answer it? I mean, that doesn't just answer it. It absolutely crushes it. Of all the greatness that you gave us, and you gave us so much greatness today, the simple fact of if you find yourself being apologetic, then it's time to check your environment. That's probably what's wrong. That alone is going to be the most freeing quote and actionable item for everybody. So David, I can't thank you enough, not just for this podcast, but I'll take this chance to say thank you for the incredibly influential, positive role that uh, you play in both Lori's and my life. And we thank you for the past several years of, of guidance and leadership and fun and memories and love. And you single-handedly have made us better people than when you found us. So thank you. Thank you. And I look forward to learning from you because you've certainly, uh, I look at you and you, everything you've created. And, you know, I, I always say you're a student teacher, teacher student. And I certainly am a student of your, uh, you both. And I love the, I just love when I'm around you both and how genuinely beautiful and open and transparent and kind and funny. And Laurie is just like to be as beautiful as she is on the outside and to be twice as beautiful on the inside is just like a remarkable thing, right? So. Mm. Thank you for that. It's been a long journey and, and, and I received that. So thank you, my friend. Thanks for listening. And if you loved this episode and know of someone else who is as successful as they are generous, please pass them on to me. 
it would mean the world to me if you help me get this cause and this message out to as many listeners as I can. So please, if you liked what you heard, it goes a long way if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. I'll be forever grateful. And until the next episode, cheers to your success.